0: This is a WKYT podcast.
1: Good morning from WKYT News as we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for being here. I'm Bill Bryant. Later we'll talk with Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams about the countdown to the general election, along with Stacy Roof, the president of the Kentucky Restaurant Association, about challenges for eateries. But first he came into office as Commissioner of Public Health and was suddenly plunged into a turbulent time. But Dr. Stephen Stack has spent decades already in an emergency room where you think fast and act decisively, and that's what he's done in these uncertain months of dealing with COVID-19. Dr. Stack is joining us now, and we appreciate that very much. Commissioner, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you, Bill. Good morning. Uh,
1: You know, we're still obviously pre-vaccine. The death toll in Kentucky is now more than 1,000. It has been a tough uh, several months here, Uh, and yet you say there are some encouraging signs out there. We know more now, right?
2: But we do, so there's still real challenges. We have a very contagious disease. It spreads easily um, and the most vulnerable can get very sick. And, and unfortunately, um, the most vulnerable can die from this. So th- those things remain unchanged. But we now have better supplies for the hospitals. We have better access to PPE. We have a better testing uh, infrastructure. People can get tested if they need to. We've, all, we've also seen in numerous states around the country just what happens when the disease gets out of control and the steps that are needed to, to be taken to try to respond to that. So I think we've, we've learned a lot, we've come a long way. We still face a big challenge, but Bill, I think we know a lot more and we, we know now the things that we need to do to get through this, which are to watch your distance, wear a mask and wash your hands.
1: The governor says uh, he is no longer going to tell schools whether or not to uh, bring students uh, into buildings. Uh, and you outlined a color coded system to to give guidance to those schools as to how they uh, should proceed. Uh, how important is that tool?
2: I think it's incredibly important. So I've, I've said all along that the disease doesn't respect geographic boundaries. It doesn't uh, respect lines drawn on a map and so Uh, This this today alone, I traversed probably three or four counties from where I woke up to where I came to work. I'll interact with people who go to numerous counties around the state. The disease will spread, but but folks have asked for local uh, control and the ability to make local decision making. Superintendents conveyed that uh, repeatedly and we have provided that now. And so now it's very important that superintendents and their communities, that means parents and teachers and other community leaders, adhere to that guidance, meaning this is not the time uh to say well now i found these reasons it doesn't work this is the time to follow that public health guidance whole communities have to come together bill this is not just about nursing homes or prisons or schools or factories the whole community has to come together so the metrics apply to the whole county and the schools are expected to follow that and local communities will have to determine um, at the end of the day, whether they followed that public health guidance and kept their folks safe.
1: Well, in that regard, the uh, High School Athletic Association has threatened to end the seasons of some teams that have not observed COVID-19 guidelines. Do you have concerns about the coaches and schools that have been lax with the rules as they allow uh, fall sports to be played?
2: Well, Bill, you know, I, I tried to do over these many months I've had, uh, been in this role. To be positive and upbeat as much as I can, and, and you know the reality is the vast majority of people are doing the right things, and so so let me get that out there. Thank you to the vast majority of folks who understand this is a serious problem, and we got to pull together and love our neighbors and do the right thing. So thank you to the vast majority of people, but there are people who do the wrong thing. One of my colleagues from another state said a uh, high school football team uh, took a kid with a fever 101, iced down his head so his temperature would be normal. And retook the temperature so the child could play the high school athlete could play football you know that's wrong like the governor would say don't be doing that that endangers the kid it endangers the community it's the wrong thing to do so i don't wish upon commissioner tackett at the high school athletic association or any other leader the difficulties that come with their job because of this pandemic but i'm very grateful that commissioner tackett is willing to take those strong steps is people need to understand this is not a game. People's lives could be at stake and we've got to follow these rules and do the right thing. So I think if people are flaunting the rules, Uh, then he is right to take strong action.
1: You know, we had a spring breaks that uh, happened just as uh, the the pandemic was hitting. We had uh, summer when many people traveled now. Fall breaks for some or at least uh, some with an opportunity to uh, uh, try to get away if if they want to do that. Do you uh, encourage or discourage travel at this point? Or uh, can we pick and choose destinations well now?
2: I think people should still be very thoughtful about their travel. Um, Look, we've got to move on with life in some ways. We've we've got to be able to get things done for work. We've got to be able to connect uh, with our friends and our family uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, just to get work done, but also to take care of uh, activities of life we have to do and our social needs. But I think you have to do it safely. And I think people would be very well advised to raise the bar for when they decide to go on just a vacation uh, and travel. Because right now with no vaccine, No particularly effective treatment for this condition. Uh, The best tool we have is just to keep people away from each other. And when you travel and mix and match and go out to restaurants and stay in hotels, you increase the risk uh, that you're gonna get exposed to infection and that you're gonna travel it around with you and take it to other parts of the country. So um, I I think people need to be careful, but if you wear your mask, keep your six foot distance, um, wash your hands. And of course, now you need to get your flu shot bill. Everybody should be going out there and get their flu shot. And if you're sick, stay home. If we do those five things, I think people can start to resume some degree of, of more normal activity, but we still, I don't think should be taking vacations for the rest of this year uh, if we can minimize that.
1: Yeah, and I was going to get there on the flu shot. Uh, do you f- uh, have concerns uh, about, uh, you know, so-called a so-called twin-demic? I mean, do you do you worry about a, a situation where we're dealing with two uh, disease outbreaks at once?
2: Absolutely. Um, In a typical year, influenza always causes the hospitals to get more full. In a bad influenza year, hospitals can run 95, 100% capacity. When I would work in Lexington and try to transfer folks to the university, the university can get overwhelmed with a really bad flu season because they take care of the sickest people who get hit the hardest. So yeah, the the flu is a problem all by itself. You mix it with COVID-19 and it could be a real recipe for disaster. Now, on the good side, If people wear their mask, they keep their distance and they uh, wash their hands. And if you are sick, stay home. So I'm gonna say that again, Bill. If you are sick, stay home. This is not the year for us to be casual about spreading the common cold, the flu or COVID-19 because you know what? If you get a fever and a cough, people are gonna assume first you have COVID-19, not that you have the common cold. So please do those steps. Um, and I think we can get through this. And in fact, maybe we could have a mild flu season. If if everybody gets their flu shot, and people wear their mask, wash their hands, and keep their distance, then we could have a mild flu season AND THERE'S SOME EVIDENCE THAT'S ALREADY HAPPENED IN SOUTHERN COUNTRIES THAT HAVE TAKEN THESE
1: STEPS. BECAUSE uh, ONE uh, preventative ACT uh, HELPS IN THE OTHER CASE AS WELL. Uh, LET'S uh, QUICKLY TALK ABOUT THIS, uh, AND I KNOW IT'S EARLY FOR THIS DISCUSSION, BUT IT IS OUT THERE. Uh, COMMUNITIES ARE DECIDING uh, WHAT uh, TO DO ABOUT uh, TRICK-OR-TREATING uh, and, AND HALLOWEEN uh, THAT IS COMING UP. Uh, LEXINGTON'S MAYOR, LINDA GORDON, SAYS SHE WILL NOT uh, BAN uh, THAT ACTIVITY. She also indicates she's looking to the state for some guidance. Uh, I know you're again, it's a work in progress, but what will you be telling folks?
2: Right, so and and the state is looking to the CDC. So the Centers for Disease Control still gives out a wealth of really useful guidance. And so we're anticipating that'll come out soon. Uh, Part of the reason this is important, and I hope that your viewership um, sees this, we really try to work together as much as we can, federal, state and local, because when the public hears a clear and consistent message and we're all on the same page, people are more likely to have confidence in those recommendations and more likely to follow them. So it's my hope that we'll soon have the CDC guidance. We'll take a look at that and then we'll turn it around real quickly and come out and give additional guidance. But look, we know these things are important for the kids and and we certainly hope to try to find a way to do as much as we can as safely as possible.
1: How close are we to a vaccine in your view?
2: Or third quarter next year is when the average person will get it. CDC Director Redfield said the same thing at a testimony at Capitol Hill yesterday. I've been saying for the last few weeks at least, it's going to be the middle of next year before the average person in the public likely has access to a vaccine. And even then, it'll still be the fastest mass scale development of a vaccine in the history of our, you know, of humanity. So it's a massive accomplishment, but there are just some corners that can't be cut. So next summer is probably the time the average person might have access to.
1: Kentucky's Commissioner of Public Health Dr. Stephen Stack, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks. And stay with us coming later the Kentucky Restaurant Association on how hard it is to operate right now, but next Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams on preparing for the election. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Glad you're here. We are a little more than six weeks away from the general election in November, and there's still a lot of preparing to do. The pandemic already changed this year's primary election, and many voters cast their ballots absentee via mail. It's expected to be the case again for the general election as the fight against the pandemic and uh, work toward a vaccine is continuing. Kentucky's Secretary of State is Michael Adams. He's charged with the task of administering the state's elections and he joins us now on Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you very much. We appreciate you uh, providing us an update today.
2: Thanks Bill,
0: my pleasure.
1: Well, Mr. Secretary, uh, how are things going? I understand you have approved the plans, you and the governor have approved the plans of uh, several counties, and you're still waiting to hear from some counties about uh, their election plan.
0: Uh, that's right. One difference from the primary is this time the governor and I get veto power over these county plans to reduce their in-person voting locations from what they usually offer. Uh, We obviously uh, were blindsided uh, by some pretty big counties having just one voting location in the primary. Even though the election went smoothly, uh, we still thought we'd do a better job if we had a little tighter leash on the counties. And so uh, the governor and I have approved so far 26 county plans. Uh, I've approved another 22 beyond that that I've sent over to the governor. Uh, He's reviewing those plans. And we're still waiting to hear uh, from a lot of counties still. We have not yet received uh, formalized plans from a lot of the big counties, Jefferson, Fayette, Kenton, Boone, Pulaski, Laurel, uh, Davis. Uh, so we're winning on those plans. Uh, but we're actually making pretty good progress, and I think in the next two weeks, every Kentuckian will know where they can go vote and win.
1: Do you think people uh, understand uh, their options that they, uh, given that you've had uh, several hundred thousand uh, absentee ballot requests already come in? Uh, do you think people know uh, the, the, the different ways they can vote?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, th- I think so. Uh, we, we worked really hard in the primary to make sure people knew their options. It's not helpful to have options if you're not aware of what they are. Uh, we spent about a million dollars on sending postcards to every Kentuckian. Uh, I've asked for another million dollars for PSAs, for the general election to let people know how to vote absentee, how to make sure they don't make mistakes on their ballot that are fatal uh, to the ballot being counted, and making sure they know about their early voting options. For the first time in Kentucky history, we're going to have uh, early voting in person, no excuse necessary, no appointment necessary for three full weeks for uh, November 3rd. So I think people knowing their options is is a pretty important part of this. Uh, But I I think Kentuckians now, they've been through this before, and they, I think, generally understand the rules are are pretty consistent across the primary and the general. And so we think that they're well informed, but we want to do more if we can to inform them
1: how do you assure people that this election will be safe and fair as you know president trump has predicted a rigged election uh, he does not like this uh, early voting especially those where uh, the ballots are sent out unsolicited uh, can you assure kentuckians that uh, that the final count will in fact reflect their votes
0: uh, absolutely the, the comments the president has made have been directed at other states that don't have the same processes that we do he's actually uh, lavishly praised Florida and their process Florida is doing uh, what we're doing here in Kentucky. Uh, they allow people to vote absentee uh, but they have very strict protocols on verifying identity uh, of a voter. They don't just register people to vote without their consent like California does. They don't just mail a ballot out to everybody uh, without their request uh, beforehand the way California does. So we have we have better rules in place I think than California does and I think uh, Republicans and Democrats have confidence in our system. In the primary, 60% of Republicans voted absentee ballot. Uh, that really surprised me. I had a, a tough row to hoe with my own party, trying to persuade people that this was a reliable process. I ultimately convinced the vast majority of Republican voters.
1: And, and you are convinced of that. Let, let, let's be clear that uh, you are telling your fellow Republicans, uh, don't worry, this, uh, this election will be fair.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm speaking with respect to Kentucky. Uh, I do think that uh, my colleagues uh, in the office that I hold in uh, other states. I think there are people of integrity that won a fair election as well. Uh, I can only uh, speak to Kentucky. That's the only place I'm in charge. But yeah, we're going to have a good election, a fair election, a free election. There were all these crazy predictions in the primary. We're going to have all this vote fraud. It was false. We had all these crazy predictions we were gonna have vote suppression. That was false too. We know how to do this. We've got competent county clerks and a competent state board of elections and a Secretary of State who's been an election professional his whole life. So we're going to have a a free and a fair election. I want to assure Kentuckians of that.
1: Do you have to watch this, though, in terms of the the choices people make in terms of choosing among these three options uh, if uh, one gets uh, too far out of balance one way or the other? I mean, either you have too many uh, requests for absentees and that becomes an issue or too many people, you know, wait and want to vote on Election Day and there aren't the number of polling places there normally would be and there are long lines. Is, is balance important here?
0: It is. Uh, what I was able to persuade the governor of after uh, spending months of time reviewing this myself, looking at data, and the governor agrees with me. The best way to ensure an election is to give people options. I also encourage them to use those options in roughly equivalent ways. If we have people vote absentee, It'll overload the ability to process absentee ballots. If too many people vote uh, in person on one day in a 12-hour span instead of over a three-week span, it'll be long lines uh, for people to vote. And uh, it's going to be even harder, uh, obviously, with people 60 feet apart uh, managing these lines. And so what we're going to try to do is encourage people to use those options and make a plan, find out what's best for you. Is it to vote uh, by absentee ballot because of your age or health condition? Then go do that. Is it to vote on uh, November 3rd? Because you're waiting to figure out who you're gonna vote for and decided, then why don't you do that? If you know who you're gonna vote for, like most voters do, then vote before election day. Uh, you can vote starting on October thirteenth. i roughly equivalent of, of people voting each of those three days, absentee, okay? If we keep those roughly proportional, then we're gonna have a good election without lines and without uh, problems. If too many people crowd one leg of that three legged stool, then that leg could snap.
1: You know there's several things that uh, people say that uh, out of this pandemic will be permanent. Uh, many people who have uh, worked from home uh, want that option going forward, and there are going to be some who say. Hey, this is a lot more convenient than uh, going to uh, the polling place uh, 12 hours on a weekday. Uh, Do you think some of this uh, change will be permanent uh, going forward? I know we're responding to an emergency right now. Uh, The legislature would have to approve changes, but do you see pressure for that?
0: Well, uh, I like to tell people the things that we've done this year that they they like. Uh, They disappear when this is over. Uh, They've all been done by my emergency powers, and when this emergency is over, I turn back into a pumpkin. Uh, If people want this permanently, they have to call their legislators. Uh, Let me tell you what I think is likely and unlikely. I think it's highly unlikely that we'll have this model uh, perpetually uh, through legislation. Uh, I've taken a lot of heat within uh, the legislature uh, for what I've done with my emergency powers, making it safe to vote in a pandemic, unfortunately. But here's what I think we can get done. Number one, make the portal permanent as a matter of law. The portal makes it easier for the voter to vote absentee, it makes it easier for the clerk to process it. it. makes it easier for me and the attorney general and other law enforcement to monitor the, the process and make sure that there's integrity in these ballots. that they're not going out to crazy places, we can track where they're going, track where they're coming back. Uh, We should make that permanent. Uh, We should also make the cure process permanent. People whose votes used to be thrown out because of voter error on the absolute ballot. Now we have a process to contact them and let them come in and fix their mistake. So their vote can be counted. That should be permanent. That should be in our law. I I made this up, but it goes away when the pandemic Mm -hmm. is over. Uh, To be clear, I don't think that for a generation, we're gonna go back to what we had with 2% of voters voting absentee. That's what it's been for the last 25 years I've been in politics, 98% vote in person one day. 2% vote absentee, way more than 2% of the population qualified to vote absentee based on their age, their health, what have you. I think in the next election, we'll have 10-15% of people vote absentee, even if we don't change a single law, just because they already qualified and they already know that it works.
1: Mr. Secretary, thank you very much. Uh, We'll spend some more time. We'll talk to you, catch up before the election. Certainly, we appreciate you. And we hope you'll stay with us here on Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll hear about how Kentucky restaurants are doing next. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The pandemic has been tough for restaurants around the country and here in Kentucky. Even some popular eateries have closed for good, while others have shifted to carry out and delivery while slowly reopening for in-person dining. But as those temperatures start to drop, what happens to places that have relied on outdoor seating? And how are restaurants hoping to move ahead at this point? Joining us today, Stacy Roof, the president and CEO of the Kentucky Restaurant Association. Welcome, first of all, Stacey, we really appreciate you being with us.
3: Good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
1: And first of all, there is a little reprieve now for restaurants and bars with a later closing hour. Uh, Will that help?
3: You know, I think it'll help a little bit. Um, It will help them. You know, restaurants are a volume and numbers business. So if it helps them get another table turn or have more time with guests then yes I think it'll help a little bit
1: you wanted more so right you 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 pressed Yes, we or-
3: asked for the curfew to go away or to be midnight uh, with with everyone leaving and gone by 1
1: a.m. yeah so as the landscape is now how would you describe things right now for Kentucky restaurants
3: Scary. Uh I think most operators are scared uh about where they are right now about what the coming months hold about how long they can hang in there um there are just so many variables that are working against us um you know if they have outdoor dining and they're seeing temperatures get colder then that kind of goes away as we as we get cooler in the next couple of months there are, you know, just all kinds of things happening in communities all over the state. People really want to go out, but they're discouraged, really, from from being together, and so they're very cautious. And so, it, you know, it's just a very uncertain mm-hmm. time, I guess, right now.
1: What would you say uh, has made the difference in terms of those who in some cases say their business is actually up because they were able to adjust to uh, to carry out and delivery and other options, maybe drive through became uh, mm-hmm. more popular. Uh, was it uh, simply that uh, having that kind of business model that made the difference?
3: I think that the only operators that I've talked to that their sales are up over this time last year are operations with drive throughs and that that's been established that was already in place before all of this started you know people are comfortable driving through and, and you'll see long lines in some cases at restaurants that have those drive throughs available that and the pizza business um, are really the most stable businesses that we've seen
1: how hard is it for restaurants to keep a good service staff, uh, given that uh, you know smaller crowds would mean less in tips? Although I'm sure they they staff with fewer people as well, so uh, uh, maybe that's a wash.
3: Well, I think I don't think it's service staff; um, it's just staff in general because people have um, a variety of reasons that they may need to be at home. You know, maybe they're there's a first responder in their family or someone that has to be, you know, is a nurse or a doctor or has to be at their, you know, at the hospital or at their place of business. Uh, We have children at home doing NTI.
1: So, you know, a lot of parents just can't physically be at work. People really are social creatures. Uh, You know, they want to go out and talk to people and uh, and, and see their friends and maybe eat out. And yet, at this point, uh, don't yet feel safe. How much is that lingering concern keeping a lid on a potential comeback for some restaurants?
3: You know, I think it depends on the area uh, and how many restaurants are you know are around, but I think places that have outdoor options have been able to mitigate that. You know very well Uh, that just the opportunity to offer choices to their guest, And, you know, do you feel more comfortable inside, outside on the patio? Um, not every oper- operator has that at their disposal, you know, mm-hmm. so those options can be limited. But um, with a reduced capacity at 50%, you know, that that's such a factor in how many people can be seated. And, and that right. really, again, with, with restaurants being You know, numbers and volume is what makes them money, and most operators are saying that they will not have a a profit this year or even break even. So until they're able to, until that social distancing isn't a factor, um, it really yeah. You know, none of those things are, are going to make an an impact, you know, on, on their ability to turn the tables.
1: Big events uh, can mean big business uh, for restaurants. When large events like the Derby, uh, the Keeneland Fall Meet, now the Breeders' Cup, go without fans mm-hmm. allowed in, uh, what kind of additional impact does that have on the restaurant industry?
3: Well, it's huge because, um, you know, for instance, you mentioned Derby derby typically happens um you know the first saturday in may and that money is so big it's second only to um to the holiday season for restaurants so that money typically carries them through the summer because in the summer month, you know august right now uh past month that we had typically you know, not a great sales month you know people are on vacation or they're getting ready to go back to school so that money kind of carries them through the summer and then the holiday money kind of carries them through the winter. So what's the holiday money going to look like this year?
1: Mm-hmm. Real quickly, Stacy. some mm-hmm. restaurants were able to uh, get by for time with forgivable loans and uh, some help from uh, state and federal government. Is the industry seeking and needing uh, additional uh, help right now?
3: Absolutely. We, we have asked for a targeted Um, package just for restaurant relief and uh, we thought we were close a couple of weeks ago and then last week um, I guess the Senate and and us in you know in Washington couldn't come to an agreement and so now we're seeing that kind of delayed and that difference in timing could make you know a huge make it or break it kind of decision for a lot of restaurants uh, it's estimated that in Kentucky we will lose about or at least 20% of the restaurants that we have from the beginning of the pandemic. We've already seen closings. We'll continue to see closings. And with every delay in any kind of uh, relief package, you know, it just makes it tougher for them to keep going.
1: Well, that says it all there. Uh, Stacy. thank you for being with us. Stacy Roof from the Kentucky Restaurant Association. We do appreciate you being here.
3: Thank you,
1: Bill. And that is a busy edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. And you make it a good week ahead.